Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. So uh, that was what I said. We don't want to waste any more time. I'm so glad he chose uh, to go through the book of James. It is such uh, uh, a wonderful book. Uh, We need it. James was um, the half-brother of Jesus. If you guys weren't, were not here last week, please go back and, and listen to that um, message. He was the half-brother of Jesus. He was not a believer while Jesus was on the planet, uh, as best we can tell. And that, that is kind of a mind-boggling as a guy that would have probably been around his miracles despite Jesus' miracles, despite his reputation, no matter where he went, despite watching all of this, James didn't believe. Then something happened. And James went from non-believer to follower of Jesus to leader of the most influential church of its time in Jerusalem Something significant must have happened. There was something that he couldn't shake. He could, he could chalk up Jesus on the planet to a nice guy who's got some neat magic tricks. But what, what caused James to become something significantly different almost overnight? And that thing was the resurrection. You, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can get away, I guess, from, from just a good dude who's a good speaker, who's got a lot of followers, and I guess James could kind of just rationally get that away in his mind, but when he saw his brother die on the cross and then raised from the dead, that's a game changer. All of a sudden, he's eating fish on the shoreline, and he should be dead. And James says, I'm done. And James went from non-believer to follower of Jesus to leader of a a, a very influential church to being martyred for his faith and would not recant that Jesus said he was God. He had his head bashed in with stones. That's a significant jump. And so James is taking up the pen now to write to a church that has been dispersed. They are being persecuted for being Christians. They are scattered abroad, and like I said, there is no, they can't just go down the road to another church. Man, this was their tie. These believers that they were around there in Jerusalem were, 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 were kind of it. And so they're being dispersed now, and they are kind of on their own in a very unique time, a time of pressure, a time of change. Christianity was brand new. They needed truth, and so James says we got to get it to them somehow. And he didn't have Zoom. So he wrote this letter. And James was a big deal. Uh, even then, it didn't take him long, it seems, to be a big deal. Uh, he, 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 he very much rose to the forefront of, of the Christian world there. In fact, so much so that when we pick up the book of James here, he says his name, I'm James, and he gives one word, greetings. That's all he needs to say. 
Paul always gives a long, verbose kind of a deal and, and really introduces and really eloquent. James just says, greetings. They knew who it was. He didn't need to say anything else, right? LeBron James doesn't need to introduce himself. Like, you know who he is. It's something very easy. And so, so here he is writing this. And he wants to get these people help because they need to know how to live. Even though they're in a tough time, there is still a right way to live. Even though they're under a lot of pressure, even though they're in a unique time and there's a lot of scary things going on around them, they need to know how to navigate their lives as Christians. And so do we. We're in a unique time that most of us have never navigated a pandemic as Christians. How do we do it? How are we going to do this as Christians? How are we going to live well in this season? Because quite honestly, there's a lot of people that aren't. There's a lot of people that haven't. I've only been at this church, I was here for about four months before the pandemic hit. And there's a lot of people on our role that I've never met. Never seen them. It's hard, man. This season is tough. It's tough to know what to do. James is going to help us figure some of this stuff out. He's going to help us to, to know what we need to do. James is a perfect book for us to slowly walk through. And, and like, like Pastor Brian said last week, we don't know how long we're going to be here. We're just going to kind of go and make our way through this book slowly. Uh, unfortunately, James is a very clear writer. He is equated a lot to Proverbs in the Old Testament. It's very clear. It's not hard to understand. You don't have to have a degree. You just have to be here with a pulse. And you'll be able to understand what James is trying to say. So let's, let's get into it. James chapter 1, verse 2, says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you are faced with trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not Lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask. Uh, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, that a person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. It's kind of negative there on the end, isn't it? We're going we're to kind of, we're going to get into this because this is quite a passage because this focus is on what you need to be prepared for. We need to be prepared. Did you see it there? It doesn't say if you face trials. It says when, whenever you face trials. Trials, it's coming. You may be in it right now. Collectively, we are all in a very massive trial. It's here. So, James says, we gotta find joy in that. That's the exact opposite of everything you're hearing today. 
Fear, 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 fear. James says, find the joy in this, man. We're going to find it. We're gonna, we're, he's going to help us to do this. We need to be prepared. Ha, have any of y'all ever been in a fight? Now, I'm not talking about an argument or uh, like a Facebook reply battle. Like, I'm talking about throwing hands a fight. Anybody ever, you raise your hand. You ever been in a fight? Marion, I knew that was coming. <laughs> All day long, I knew that was coming. Some of y'all, nah. I, I remember when I was in elementary school, we were playing wall ball. I don't know if y'all have ever played wall ball. We were playing wall ball. It's just where you, you got to throw the ball. If the ball hits you, you don't, you don't catch it properly. You drop it. You got to run and touch the wall before somebody else picks up the ball and throws the ball to the wall before you touch it. If not, you get a strike, and usually you can play like three strikes, and then you got to go put your hands on the wall, and everybody that's playing gets to throw the ball at you. Kids don't know video games. You don't play that on video games, man. You don't know fear until you can't see what's coming, man. <laughs> and so we, uh, we would play this a lot. I remember one time, I, the guy, a, a guy uh, the ball came off the wall. It hit him. His name was Charles. He's a punk. And <laughs> the ball hit him. It bounces to me. I grab it, feel it cleanly, throw it right against the wall. No, I don't. I miss the wall, and I hit him square in the back of the head as he's running. He comes back to me, and before I could say I'm sorry or you should have ducked, he, he jacks me right below the eye, just clocked me. And we kind of got into it there. I was not prepared for that. Charles obviously had issues there he needed to work through. <laughs> and so I, I was shocked by that. You, you, I didn't see it coming. It helps to know when a fight is coming, and that way you can kind of prepare for that fight. In high school, I had a friend, and she was challenged to a fight at school. Well, you don't fight at school because you can be kicked out, you can get a lot of problems. So the fight was scheduled. They scheduled it. Isn't that neat? <laughs> they, they, they challenged each other. They said, well, we'll go to Square Park in Roswell, New Mexico, and we'll fight at Square Park. So on the way over there, her name was Amanda. I hope she's not watching. But Amanda, we, on the way over there, Amanda stopped and she picked up a roll of quarters. And she put them in her hand. And when we were all there, I mean, there was a lot of kids there. Probably shouldn't have been, but, yeah, judge me. It was a lot of fun to be there. And so, like, they're getting ready to do this. Two girls, man, and, and that other girl was a scrapper, too. She, she was rough. And uh, Amanda walks up there, quarters in her hand, hits that girl right in the forehead. And I'm not lying to you, a knot like that popped out of her head. And that girl just kind of stood there, and it was done. She was not prepared for that fight, and Amanda was. <laughs> and I was always, always nice to Amanda after that. <laughs> but but it, she was prepared, man. She knew this thing is going to get ugly. It's going to get, it, it, it could get serious. I'm going to go ahead and do something to mitigate that danger. That's exactly what James is doing here. He's tossing you a roller quarters for when that, when that trial comes, you'll be ready. You'll be, you'll be able to, to be able to, to hint this because whenever a trial is coming, not if, it's coming. And you need to know 
how to be prepared. So let's walk through this passage together, and let's, let's see if we can't figure this out. The first thing I want you to see is there's a purpose in trials. There's a purpose of trials. There's a purpose. Right off the bat, James leans in to that purpose. He says the purpose of trials is very simply joy. This is why the scriptures are so important. Without the scriptures, if you were on a desert island even by yourself, and you just kind of trained yourself about, tri- about trials and hard times and what those look like, you would not think to yourself, this is for my joy. That's not, that's not intuitive. The Bible is telling you the struggle is for your joy. We're going to see how that is possible. Because James kind of just throws it out there, and he's very intimate about it. He says, brothers and sisters, consider it joy when trials come. This pressure, I mean, they're being killed. This is different than, than, than some of the stuff. I mean, they are being slaughtered for their faith. And he's telling them, consider that joy. That's amazing. He, what they're going through is going to bring them joy. He's just showing them on this perspective. Now, now, now stop thinking spiritually for just a second right now. And just think about your life and your work and your marriage and your parenting and maybe even your, your intellect or whatever. How many of you have matured in those areas with no struggle whatsoever? You just like woke up and dude, you're knocking it out of the park as a parent. You woke up and dude, you're the best husband on the planet. You're killing it at work. Just, just figured it all out, man. Just rolled in. Got it figured out. You're, you're laughing a little bit because you know, ain't nobody do that. We all struggle. We struggle as parents. We struggle as husbands and wives. We struggle as employees. We struggle as church members. We struggle as Christians. But for some reason, all of a sudden, we slide over to Christianity. We slide over to spirituality. And we think that we're just going to wake up mature and spiritual one day. It's just going to happen. No struggle, no fight. We're just going to be like, boom, flying like angels. Doesn't happen that way. Maturity comes from the struggle. It comes from the struggle. Struggle is the process. And that struggle comes, it says, in many kinds. Once you got it licked over here, it comes back over here. And it's over, and it's over, and that struggle is part of the maturity. That way, when it comes back again, it's not that big a deal to me. I've got it. I've matured. I remember, we don't have interstates down in my part of New Mexico. We barely have roads. Where I grew up, we don't have that kind of stuff. And so if you go to Albuquerque, you got I-40, you can go up there. But for the most part, man, I didn't have that. And so my dad, when I was learning to drive, uh, I got my learner's permit at 14, right out of middle school. How about that? 
I uh, got my license at 15, and my dad, I remember my dad, we were driving through Oklahoma City on a family trip. My dad pulls over just outside of Oklahoma City in a place called Yukon. Yukon is where Garth Brooks is from. How about that? And uh, so we, we pull in there, and he, he says, I want you to drive on I-40. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, take us through I-40. Take us through here. Get us onto the turnpike. Uh, we'll, we'll do all that. You do that. You need to learn how to do this because you don't have any experience. I'm going to give you some experience. People are nuts. <laughs> I get in that car, and I mean, they're flying. I'm going I'm in like the farthest lane I can get. My dad says, get in the middle. That way you got options. I'm over here in the far, the far right like, no, I don't want any options. I just want to get off this road. It was crazy, bonkers, nuts. But in college, I drove that road all the time, and it was super easy peasy, man. Lived in Tennessee, I drove I-40 all the time. No big deal. Why? I'd done it. Figured it out. Worked through it. But that first time, that struggle was real, man. It was hard to drive that. It is so difficult. There is lots of ways to struggle, and each one of them can bring us joy if we will let it. A.W. Tozer was commenting on Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12. And he says this, uh, Hosea says this, I'll read you that, then I'll tell you what Tozer said about it. It's lengthy, but it is so good. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12 says this, Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord. And he comes and he showers his righteousness on you. Namely this phrase right here, break up your unplowed ground. Ground. That's what he's kind of leaning into. And he says this. Tozer writes, he's older, so he writes a little different. He says this. Here are two kinds of ground. Follow ground and ground that has been broken up by the, by the plow. Fallow, the fallow field is smug. That means the, the nice field that's never been touched by implement, never been touched by, by farming equipment. It's smug, contented, protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of the harrow. It's never been farmed. Such a field as it lies year after year becomes a familiar landmark to the crow and the blue jay. Had it intelligence, it might uh, take a lot of satisfaction in its reputation. It has stability. Nature has adopted it. It can be counted upon to remain always the same. While the, field, while the fields around it change from brown to green and back to brown again, safe and undisturbed, it sprawls lazily in the sunshine. The picture of sleepy contentment. That sounds awesome. But it pays a terrible price for its tranquility. Never does it feel the motions of mounting life, nor sees the wonders of bursting seed, nor the beauty of ripening grain. Fruit can never know because fruit it can never know because it is afraid of the plow and the harrow. In direct opposite to this, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventure of living. The protecting fence has opened to admit the plow, and the plow has come as plows always come, practical, cruel, businesslike, and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of machinery. The field has felt the travail of change. It has been upset, turned over, bruised, and broken. But its reward 
Its rewards come hard upon its labors. The seed shoot, shoots up into the daylight, its miracles of life, curious, exploring the new world above it. All of the field, the hand of God is at work in the age-old and ever-renewed service of creation. New things are born to grow, mature, consummate the grand prophecy latent in the seed when it enters the ground. And this, this next sentence is awesome. Nature's wonders follow the plow. There are two kinds of lives also. The fallow and the plowed. Life and its trials can bring joy if we let it. James is going to show us how that works. It's a little bit of a trick, but if we get it, we can get through our trials and understand exactly what God was trying to do the entire time. Because let me tell you, if you don't know, nothing is out of God's control. And what you're going through is right there, sovereignly chosen for you and sovereignly chosen for me. I can let it make me bitter and I can let it lean into that or I can understand that God was doing it for a purpose and that purpose is needed to be known. And only you can know it. James says this, on the other side of trials, he says this, because, in verse three, you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What God is always trying to do is right here, make you mature. Grow you up, make you mature. He's a father, right? I do this with my kids. Let's, let's get to work, man. Let's pick some stuff up. Let's do this. They're five, three, and one, so I don't, I don't really get anywhere, but... We, we, we try, we try to give them a few responsibilities here and there to, to learn this. You got to, how else are they going to figure this out? It's hard. Well, let's just keep going, buddy. Let's just, let's keep trying. Lewis especially, he likes to quit. And, and let's just try this a little harder. God's a father and he's doing the same thing with you. You need to know how to get through this. You need to know how to deal with this because somebody else is going to need it. You're going to need it later on in life. You're going to need to lean into this. And so you need to know this. You need to, you need to know that because you struggle and you have struggled. But guess what? You're still here. You're sitting right here today. Spirituality works the same way. No one struts into the kingdom of God. We all come crawling in with a few stars and a few scars and some amazing stories. All of us enter the kingdom of God like that. If, you, if you're in a trial right now, like I, I am sorry. And like I said, collectively, we're all dealing with this. But James is saying, stay faithful because there's purpose behind it. Stay faithful. If you stay faithful, it will create joy. But the question is, what does it mean to stay faithful? What does that mean? If I'm supposed to persevere, some versions say endure. Some, person, some versions say be patient. What, what, what am I supposed to do there? What does that mean? How does that look? What that means is faithful. It means that we choose to live as God says in his word, like it's the actual truth. The choices that we make 
during a trial that they look something like that's in, the, that's, in, that's in the word of God that we've read or we've heard from God's word? Does my life in this trial look like I know what God said about it? That's staying faithful. Does, do I behave and does my decision making look like, like it's coming straight out of scripture? And if you're like me, you struggle with those questions. I struggle with those questions. And guess what? James is here for us, baby. James is here for us. The next thing we're going to look at is the plan. The plan for trials. And the plan for trials we find in verse 5. It says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. James finishes his last sentence with, you need to be mature and you need to lack nothing. And so if you are mature and you're lacking nothing, you've got it all figured out, you could probably just go on, go, go to lunch early, or I, man, you might be able to hit brunch. But if you're struggling like the rest of us, James, James knows exactly what we need to do. We, we, we look at trials, and the purpose of trials is to get us to realize that we need God. You need him. And I, I need him. When things are going great, in my life, I tend to think that I did that. I'm doing something right, and I've made some good decisions, and I've made some good investments or whatever, and I've done it all right, and, and, and I, I, I'm really killing it right now. I did something Right, but then all of a sudden it crashes, something happens, and I say, God, what in the world are you doing? What are you doing, man? I'm trying to live my life here, and all of a sudden this, this happens. I blame myself for the good, and I blame God for the bad. Without trials, without trials, I have a feeling that we would never seek God like we would if we didn't have them. We need trials because we need, we need to know that there's nowhere else to go. I've been in some, some tough situations where there is nowhere else to go. There's nobody that can help me. During the middle of the pandemic, or I don't know if we're still in the pandemic or not. And so like, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm, nobody's like defined that for me. So in 2020, there we go. In 2020, Henry came into our room one night Henry is my middle child. He's three. He came into our room one night. He's feeling terrible. Looks terrible. A little bit warm. And um, Henry's kind of funny. He, he just kind of sometimes acts a little different. So I'm like, I didn't know what was going on. We didn't really know what was going on. And so we're, we're trying to figure this out. All of a sudden, he starts to shake just uncontrollably. And he gets like this catatonic look. And it's like he is just gone. No idea what's going on. We are struggling. Uh, Kayla had just had a baby about two weeks before that. So we're already kind of dealing with the, the baby, and now Henry's got this thing going on. And so finally I just said, you know, I'm taking him to the ER. Uh, Kayla, she's a, she's a great mom, and she says, I cannot let you just go and take him to the ER. So she gets the baby, and she wakes our oldest boy up, and we all get in the car about 2 in the morning, and we drive to the ER, 
and I take Henry in. She stays in the car with those two kids. And I take Henry in, and he's still just, just sitting there. And the whole way, on the, on the whole drive there, I am in tears, and I am telling God, that little boy is the light of our home, man. I didn't think it hit me like that, but it did. I, it, I had nowhere else to go, man. I had never been through anything like that. Lewis didn't do anything, and I, I was terrified that something was drastically wrong with him, and this was like my last moments with him. And I had nowhere else to go. And so I run him into the hospital. I, I take him in, and, you know, they're so great with kids. They just run him right back, and they check his temperature. He had 105 temp. And they take all his clothes off, and they gave him some ibuprofen, and they, they, they did some tests, and they did some COVID tests, and that, that, that stuff didn't come back for, for days and days because it was early on in the pandemic, and we, they didn't have rapid tests, and so we were a little bit nervous about all that. But anyway, they, they did all that, and um, it, it turned out that he had just some random virus, but he had a fibril seizure. And they said, that's, uh, yeah, it happens all the time. So they're all like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like Jeeps at Myrtle Beach. Oh, yeah, they're just there, man. There's just so many. He's just like, it's no big deal. And I'm like, fibril seizures. Ah. And so we were terrified. And so we, we, uh, we were thankful that that happened and, and it was fine. But man, I had nowhere else to go. There was nobody that could help me. In that moment, I was terrified. And while he was getting those tests and while they were waiting for his degree to come down to a manageable degree, he, they, 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 they worked on him and I was so thankful, man. That, that was one of those deals, and I know you guys have been through that, where you have nowhere else to go, and trials do that. I couldn't do anything but worship after that. When they came back and said, fearful seizure, no big deal, there was still a little part of me that said, thank you, God. Thank you for that. You know what I love most about this verse? I love most about this verse. It's a little phrase we often overlook, but it says this. Ask God. You should ask God. Oh, can you go back? Ask God who gives generously to all, here we go, ready? Without finding fault. There are some things that you and I get to. It's not like Henry having a fever. There are some things that you and I get ourselves into because we choose sin and we choose to love something else more than we love God and we choose that for ourselves and it ends up wrecking our lives. And you know what God says? Ask me for wisdom anyway. I'm not gonna find fault in that. If you're gonna humbly come and ask me for wisdom anyway, it will be given to you. Like how, how amazing is that God? He should be furious with me. And he's not. He says, just ask. Ask for wisdom. You train wrecked your life. You made a decision that put your family in a precarious situation. You made a decision that was selfish and that was prideful, that was dangerous, that was silly. And he says, ask me anyway, man. I will help you. That's amazing. God knows that I can be a moron. He even anticipates that. Like he anticipates that, that I am dumb. And he says, ask. 
Man, ask to get out of that. And he says, it will be given. Throughout the rest of this chapter, the words for trial and the word for temptation or tempted, it's the exact same word. The context just tells us that he means something different. Trials are experienced on the outside. Temptations are experienced on the inside. Trials are stuff that happens out here when Henry gets a fever. Temptations are something that I allow in my heart and I ponder it and I make a decision on it. To do it. To watch it to partake in it. And either way, they both need wisdom to get on the outside with it, to get on the other side of it. And God makes it super easy. He just says, just ask. And this may be in the form of prayer. This may be in the form of of Bible study. It may be in the form of asking a mature Christian who's farther down the line than you are. Whatever the case may be, ask. That's all you have to do is ask, I am struggling with this, what do I do? And that's the hardest thing in the world for a lot of us. It's the hardest thing in the world. Here's where God works though. He, He works in this humility. He works in this situation where I just say, what do I do? I'm done trying what do I do? But I really haven't gotten to the place where I've prepared you for the fight. That's all good. But there's one last thing we're going to hit very quickly, and that's the problem with trials. The problem with trials, look at verse 6. It says this. You need to ask when you, have, when you need wisdom. But James says, but when you ask, you must believe. And not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person, James is just straight up with you, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. He hits pretty hard here. That hits pretty hard. He tells us to ask God and that God will do it, but if we doubt, God won't do it. Ouch. So, so we see this, this situation in this, that, they, that God is using trials to, to, to develop faith, and that faith will bring us joy. And, and, and we're leaning into this a little bit, but, but this seems like there's a little bit of a struggle here, like, like two things are going on. Like you're telling us to have faith, but you're also telling us that, like I can't doubt So which is it? Like if I need faith, obviously I am doubting. But I can't doubt because God won't won't work. Does that feel like a struggle to you? That feels like a struggle. When I was reading this, I was like, that's a struggle for me, man. There's a beautiful illustration of this found in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, a man approaches Jesus with a boy who is uh, having some significant problems, namely that he is possessed by a spirit. And the man said, he asked his disciples for help. He went to Jesus' boys and he said, I need y'all to help me, and it says they couldn't. God, there's nothing more frustrating than going to somebody who is supposed to be like spiritually minded and getting no help. They go to these disciples for spiritual work and these disciples can't help them. And Jesus says this, starting in verse 19. He's mad. 
He says, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? Like, I'm done. Yeah. How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Like, I'll do this. God, he was so patient with these guys. So they brought him. And when Jesus saw, or when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and he rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has it been like this? As if he doesn't know. Isn't that interesting that Jesus asking questions? It's always interesting when Jesus asks questions. From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Like, that's a dad, right? It ain't help him. It's help us. Like, if something's wrong with one of us, something's wrong with all of us. And he says, man, can you help us? And it's funny because he says, (laughs) Jesus says, if you can, bro, (laughs) I'm Jesus. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Verse 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Well, there it is. There's that tension. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. How great of a statement is that? That is so honest. I believe that you're Jesus, the Son of God. I believe that you are good. I believe that but I don't believe that, that you can do something this insurmountable. I don't believe that you can overcome this, this thing that has been weighing on our family for years. And he says, help me with my unbelief. That's a real life question, right? Like I believe in Jesus, man. I believe he is good. I believe he is the way, but I also don't know if he can overcome this. This is cancer, man. This is, a, this is a wayward child. And it's been trending this way for a long time. I don't know if he can overcome that. So the question is, this was a little bit of faith. He just says, I, I, I do believe, but, but I need help with my unbelief. And so is that, is that statement enough to move God? Is it? Is that enough to move Jesus to do something insurmountable? Let's read it. Here we go, verse 25. It says this, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit and says, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. There's no argument with Jesus, right? There's no cosmic battle of good versus evil. When Jesus says, stop, it stops. The demon didn't say, no, Jesus, not today, brother. No, it's not Lot Hulk Hogan, man. It didn't happen that way. Jesus said, stop. He comes out. The boy looks so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. In that place where we are fighting doubt, that we believe in Jesus, but we don't know that Jesus can actually step in and do something with where I'm at, we just need a little bit of faith, man. And that little bit of faith, I believe, but help my unbelief, is enough to make God move. 
I don't know what kind of Christianity you came from. I know the one I came from, it was a lot of put together people. There was a lot of people that were really put together. And, and, and when you'd ask them, man, how you doing? They'd say something like, too blessed to be depressed. <laughs> something like that, right? You know those guys? I'm thinking of one right now. Said that, too blessed to be depressed. He'd say that almost every time you asked him. Divorced his wife of 56 years. Gone. Whole bunch of stuff come out. Others that got trouble for shady deals that they did. Stuff come out, came out in the paper, all that stuff. These are the guys that are all put together at church. They don't want to admit that their struggle with belief is real. So they just kind of carry on. Too blessed to be depressed. What did James say about those guys? They're like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because such a person is double-minded and unstable in all their ways. That word doubt simply means they withdraw themselves. That's all that means. It's not even so much doubt like, like I don't know that God can do it. It's doubt like, I think I can find a better way. So you withdraw yourself from God. You withdraw yourself from that. And when you do this, he says that you're double-minded. That word is only used by James. And so James is making a huge point there, and he says this. You've straddled a world where you believe in Jesus for salvation, but you don't actually believe God can do anything else. That's weird, right? Like, I believe Jesus can take care of my sin, which is my biggest problem, but he can't take care of anything else. That's weird. But that's what we think. And James says if you lean into that too long, you will become unstable. It's the only time this word is used in Scripture. James uses it because he's trying to make a point, right? He's making a point. He's using a word that, 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 that lands on them. Like words matter. Like if I say, that dude over there is not a good dude, you may just kind of blow me off. But if I say that dude is a serial killer, like it gets real, right? We're going to avoid it. That's what he means here. He's using a word that is very specific because it changes the game. This is serious business this morning because at the end of the day, we are all in a collective trial, not to mention the countless of other trials that exist in this room, and we need wisdom. We need to ask God, what is the purpose of what we are going through? If you have no intention of doing what God says, your life will look like a ship that's just blown and tossed by the wind and has no control of its life. And when things are out of control, that's when anxiety comes in, that's when fear comes in, that's when sin comes in. When you're out of control, that's the result of that. So if you like anxiety, keep sailing that ship. But if you don't, God said just ask. He's not telling you to get a better ship. He's not telling you to run up more sails. He's not telling you to get a better crew. He's saying, I'll get you out of the ship all the way, to, all the way, to, all together. So let me pray this morning and let me ask God for wisdom. If you wouldn't mind to bow your heads, you could pray. If you need to ask God, I suggest you do that. 
Ask God for wisdom. If it's to be saved, ask God to do that this morning. If you need help with that, come and get help. If you need whatever you need, just, just pray to God. And I'll, I'll pray over you and for us and really for me. Father, thank you for your scriptures. They're truly, um, as the Psalms say, they're perfect. They're useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training, so that we may be equipped for all the good works, you say. Help us this morning, Father. We need wisdom. We need wisdom to get through a pandemic. We need pandemic wisdom. We need marriage wisdom. We need parenting wisdom. We need getting through high school wisdom. Help us believe that you are who you say you are in Scripture and that you'll never leave us or forsake us. We need you this morning, Father. Help us to realize that. Move in these final moments as we think about your word and as we sing to you one last time, move. In your son's perfect name, amen.